Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. That I don't think I'm gonna get through. So uh, I'm gonna attempt to try, and we'll see where the Lord takes us this morning. But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and and get those out. Um, if you want to stand for the reading of the Word, you can. And we're gonna read two uh, two passages of Scripture this morning from two different books. So if you want to turn to the Book of Job. It's right after the book of Esther, if you're wondering where that is in the Old Testament. Turn to Job chapter 19. Put your finger there. And then also turn all the way to the back of the book, to Revelation. And we're going to read in Revelation chapter 5. And I, I honestly hope we get to it all today. I'm kind of a little nervous that the Revelation part we won't get to, but... Uh, I'm going to attempt to try, and if not, God knows what we're going to do today. But first, while you're turning, I want to honor our pastor and first lady, pastor and sister Staten, once more for the opportunity to minister before you. If you're a guest today and you haven't had the opportunity to meet them or greet them, please don't leave without getting a chance to know them. They're amazing, and I know we're biased because they're our pastor and first lady, but we really have the best of the best here. Amen. We really do. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to try. We're going to start backwards this morning. We're going to start in Revelation. So go to Revelation chapter 5. And before we jump to it, I want to add a little context. John is the author of, of Revelation. Well, God is the author, but John is the one putting pen to, to Patmos paper or scroll, whatever you want to call it. And he is giving us a glimpse into what is taking place in the heavens at the end times or during the last days. Revelation 5 and chapter 1, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? And to loose the seals thereof. And, and John is, is watching this unfold. And he, and he says, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look inside the book. And so as a result of this, John says, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Verse 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And now if you can turn your attention back to Job, Chapter 19, we're going to read one verse. Verse 25, we know this, we've sang about it. It says, For I know 
that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. How many know that our Redeemer lives? Your Redeemer, my Redeemer. Our Redeemer, he's not dead, but he is alive. And I know next week is Easter Sunday, and we're, we're going to celebrate that the tomb is empty, right? The place where they buried our Savior is empty. The reason it is empty is because he rose again. Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray? Lord, I pray, God, that first of all, Lord, you would be lifted up in this house. Lord, I pray, God, open up our eyes and open up our ears, Lord, to, to hear from, from you this morning. I pray, God, as, as this lesson is given forth, Lord, that you would, God, God, use this mouth of mine, use the words that you've given me, God, to, to, to do the purpose, Lord, that you gave it to me for. Lord, I pray, God, help us to learn and glean from your word this morning as we, God, uh, learn from your word in, in this Sunday school hour. In Jesus' name, I pray you may be seated. So as we begin a new month of the year, once more, we're going to tackle a new theme in this hour or this time we have for adult Sunday school. And the theme for April is a simple one, and we could probably spend the rest of the year uh, learning from this theme. But the theme is simply we're going to learn about the power of God, the power of God. And I don't know about you, but you can search the Bible from front to back, side to side, and I don't know if we could ever fully comprehend the true uh, vastness and depth of the power of God, but we're certainly going to try during this Sunday school hour. And this morning, I want to take a look at one of the characteristics or one of the facets or aspects of God's power, and I'd like to teach on the power to redeem or the power of redemption. So let's talk about this word redeem. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I feel confident as I say this that this word redeem is not a word that we use very often. Who uses the word every day? I redeem this and I redeem that. We don't talk like that. And in fact, as I began to study for today's lesson, I don't recall many instances in my own life where I use this word or, or other variations of this word like redeemed or redemption or redeemer, right? Or redeeming. I, we, just, we just don't use those words. And for us, Church folks, we certainly have heard the word at church before or during church. We even sing psalms about it, right? We say, uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Or, you know, I have been redeemed. We say, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. But what does that mean, right? Outside the church, we don't use this word very much. And so the only other fitting place that I've probably heard this word has been on the occasions where I've been shopping. I've been shopping. There are times in my life, especially when I was much younger, where I probably first heard this word. My mom, she's here today. I love you, mom. My grandparents, especially my grandmother, they were experts at using coupons. Anybody? They were crafty at redeeming the coupon at the right time and, and in the right method to buy as children all of our toys and clothes. They knew the ins and outs of the trade. It took me a long time to understand that perhaps the best strategy was if you want to use that coupon to get your, your bang for your buck, you got to use it 
with the holidays or, or use it at peak times to gain an advantage. You see, you don't use it necessarily to buy what you want during those times, but you wait until those times are just past. You wait afterwards when, one, people return the stuff that they bought as an impulse. Or you, you wait until that store has uh, an overload of inventory, and so now things are on sale. That's when you get the bang for the buck with the coupon. That's when you redeem the coupon, and it's most effective. As I grew older, I noticed the savviness of utilizing coupons, at least in our family, kind of diminished a little bit. But I'll never forget the Ziploc bag of coupons that my mom and grandmother would carry around on occasion. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. When I worked at Chick-fil-A, I remember we had a customer who walked in with a stack of coupons. And in my mind, I'm like, this person is armed and dangerous. I remember they handed me coupon after coupon. And I was thinking in my mind, this has got to be illegal. This has got to be a joke. Some of the coupons were even expired. Like, like how can you hand me something that's three years old? Like, you're expecting me to, to give you what you're asking for. But after double checking with my manager, we accepted every single one of them in this instance. I think they ended up paying for just a small fry and a small drink, but they walked out with enough food to feed an army because of this stack of coupons. They were expert at, experts at it. But I want to turn back to this word, redeem. The reason why this word is not a part of our common vernacular is because this is an accounting term. In order to redeem something, it's it's used from an accounting point of view. The word redeem means to pay off or to recover, to fulfill or to exchange. The most common reference even in scripture is that to redeem something, it means to buy it back or to ransom it by payment. Webster's Dictionary describes redeemed as being reclaimed. Redemption is the act of redeeming or reclaiming something that is not, is not in the hands of the original owner. Redemption is the state of being redeemed. It is deliverance. It is rescue. But through a means of being repurchased or brought back to where it was originally intended to be. How I many know since the fall of man and sin entering into the garden, you and I, mankind, we have never had the ability to redeem or save ourselves. We have always needed a redeemer. So in regards to this subject of redemption, there's a couple different kind of questions I had to ask myself. Who are the redeemed in this scenario? Who is the redeemer? What is being redeemed? Psalms 107 tells us, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. For he is good and for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed or whom he has purchased, whom he has taken back from the hand of the enemy. Verse 3 says, and he gathered them out of the lands from the east and the west and the north and the south. So in this picture of redemption, you and I, the chosen, the elect, the people of God, we are the redeemed. There must also be, on, on, on the other hand, there must also be a person or 
someone who plays the part of the redeemer. How many know that God is still in the business of redeeming? It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've been through. God is able to redeem you, as we just read in Psalms 107, out of the hand of the enemy. He's able to pull you out from the hand of the enemy. Psalms 19 says in verse 14, let the words of my mouth, this is David, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Here's a good question, and you can imagine as I studied, I certainly asked the question, and I might be getting ahead in my notes a little bit, but, but that's okay. What is perhaps what was required biblically for someone to be a redeemer? Does anybody know? When I studied this, I came to kind of three conclusions. And here are, if you're writing notes, here are the requirements for a redeemer. First of all, they had to be willing to pay the price of what was being redeemed. Second of all, they had to have the ability to pay that price. It's, it's more than just being willing. How many wanted something, right? You were willing you were willing to get what you wanted, but when you saw the price tag, you were like, oh, no. I might be willing, but Paul, I think it was Apostle Paul said my flesh is weak. Um, I, I might have really, really wanted that thing, but when I realized how much it cost, I realized I didn't have the ability to pay for what I wanted. And so they had to be willing to pay the price. They also had to have the ability or the means to pay that price. And then thirdly, and this is one we're kind of going to dig into if we had time. They had to have the power to take possession of what they bought. Even if they had to use force sometimes, they had to have the power to take possession of what they bought. Sometimes we buy things, and when I was trying to think of a good example, it reminded me maybe of software. We buy software sometimes for a computer or maybe you've ever bought software for something, and then when you buy it, you realize your computer is not accurate enough to use it. You're like, I, I bought this thing. I, I wanted it. I was willing to pay the price for it, but now when I use it, I can't even use what I paid for. You have to have, in the case of the Redeemer, you have to have the power to take ownership of what you're buying. And so I don't know if or maybe you're just catching up at this particular point in the lesson, but Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He's the mighty God, our Deliverer, our Savior. He's our Protector. He's all-powerful. He is a mighty God, a living God, but he is also our Redeemer. The reason why is because Jesus meets every criteria that I laid out. In fact, no one else can be our Redeemer but God. No one else can be our redeemer but Jesus Christ. I want to go back through this criteria. First, they have to be willing to pay. There are many verses I could use here, but a few come to mind. John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world that what? He, he gave. He was willing to give his life so that what? So that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, Jesus is talking to his disciples and, and the disciples are kind of having a conversation about what, what Jesus is here to do. And Jesus says, even as the Son of Man, 
He came not to be ministered unto. I didn't come here so that you guys can put me on this, this pedestal and you think I'm going to do what you want me to do. And that's not why I came. I came to minister. I came to, even if it needs to be, I came to lay down my life as a ransom for many. Jesus was absolutely willing to pay whatever the price was to be our redeemer. Jesus is describing his calling, his purpose, his mission in this earthly life. He's not here for other people to serve him, but he's here. He came so that he could serve them. Indeed, he's here to completely give himself away in this effort to serve others up to and even including giving his life away as a ransom. We talked about the definition of redeeming, ransom or paying the price, buying it back. For others, Matthew Henry explains this. Jesus Christ laid his life down for a ransom. Our lives were forfeited because of sin, right? God put a curse on us. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God didn't have a choice but to curse them because that's what he said he would do. And so in order to make atonement for sin, there needed to be a redeemer. There needed to be someone who would take our place And they had to be willing to take our place and have the ability to take our place. And Jesus Christ willingly did that selflessly and with unfailing love. Secondly, this redeemer had to have the ability to pay. And again, there are tons of scriptures that that I could use this morning. And I know I might be getting a little deep, but I'm I'm trying to kind of lay a little foundation. Hebrews chapter 9 explains that. Neither by blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once again into the holy place, having obtained eternal, here's that word again, redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now, I know that's deep. I'm going to kind of explain a little bit, but Hebrews is explaining why Jesus had the ability to be the redeemer. Jesus was better. How many know when when sacrifices and, and things took place under the law, there were different elements in, in place. There was a priest. There was a high priest. There was a covenant that God gave to Moses. This is how things are going to run. But when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus exceeded and was better than all those things that God had already put in place. He was a better high priest. He was a better mediator, and he brought a better covenant. And he's better because he did this all through his own blood. He did this all by himself on the merits of his own righteousness because you see unlike those high priests in the Old Testament, those uh, the lineage of Aaron, they had to purify themselves before they could help anybody else. They had to purify themselves before they could offer a sacrifice on behalf of someone else. And Jesus is both the perfect priest but also the perfect sacrifice in one. Furthermore, the blood of Christ was more effective than any other sacrifice that had come before because Jesus was perfect. There was no sin in him. 
He had the ability to cleanse everything. And so Jesus' death accomplished redemption once and for all. Once and for all. He canceled every debt. He paid the price for everyone in one act of service. And so the third kind of uh, criteria for a redeemer I mentioned was that not only were they willing to pay, and we've seen Jesus was willing. Not only did they have the ability to pay, we know Jesus, not only was he perfect, but he was both God and man. He had all power. He had every ability to pay and was willing, and he could pay the price no matter what the price was, even to the point of laying down his life. But lastly, they have to have the power to take possession of what they paid for. How many know that Jesus is coming and he's coming again? He's coming soon. And when he comes this time, he's coming to claim everything that's his. I hope you're his this morning. I hope you're on the winning side. I hope you understand he's coming back to redeem a church and a body that is set apart to him. He's coming to reclaim everything on this earth that belongs to him. That's what he's coming to do. Isaiah chapter 59 and I know I'm rushing this morning a little bit, but Isaiah chapter 59 gives us this glimpse into when the Lord is going to return. Verse 17 says when he, Isaiah is kind of having a view into this period. For when he put, he, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head, it says. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. And was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, Isaiah says, he's going to repay everything that was done. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will repay recompense. For so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And verse 20 says, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that, are, that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As I was, was studying for this lesson, and we're going to come back to that point I just made, but as I was studying for this lesson, the more and more I began to search the Scripture, the more and more I began to dig into this topic of redeeming and redemption, the more and more I began to see the power of God at work. I began to see the attributes of God, the, the power he has to save a life, the, the power he has as the protector, the power he has as the deliverer, and the power he's going to have as a ruler because God is going to rule everything. But woven in, and threaded in into all these different aspects of the power of God, they're all woven into the plan of redemption. Or better yet, they're woven into the redemptive power of God. And many times when we read over, when we read our Bible, we kind of miss or gloss over this subject. And again, I want to dig into it a little. If there's anything I hope to convey this morning, it is that redemption is a message that is woven and it's in all of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation and in the books in between, God has always had a plan to redeem everything that belongs to him. Exodus chapter 6, many of us know the story, but I want you to pay attention here to the particular wording 
and just how much this theme of redemption is on display here. Exodus chapter 6, God is speaking to Moses here, and God says, I have heard the groanings of the children of Israel, Moses, whom the Egyptians have kept in bondage. I have remembered my covenant. And verse 6 calls this out. Wherefore, I want you to say now unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will, here's that word, redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. I like how God repeats himself often. You're going to know that I am God. You're going to know that there's no one else that can do this but me that's going to bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I want to real quick kind of look back and summarize this, but God said kind of four things, and he repeated himself for the fifth thing, all kind of having to do with redeeming. And if you pay attention here, this is the plan of redemption wrapped up in kind of one nice little package. But God says, I'm going to bring you out from the burdens that you're under. That's redemption. I'm going to rid you out of bondage. That's redemption. I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm is what he says. With, if you study that, it means I'm going to do it all by myself. If I tell Brother Chris, I need you to go over here and grab that, I'm not redeeming it. You're redeeming it for me. But if I do it with my own outstretched arm, that's a little bit different. I'm doing it so it's unmistakable that me and me alone is the only one that is going to get the credit for this. And then he says another part of redemption, I'm going to take you for a people unto myself. And then he repeats himself here and he says, oh, don't worry, I'm going to remind you that I'm the one that has brought you out of the burdens that you were under. And again, this is the plan of redemption revealed before us right here. And oftentimes we skip over it. But I want you to think about the redeemer in your own life. How many burdens has God brought you out of? How many burdens are you no longer under, right? When you begin to walk and live for God, that is redemption at work. When you're no longer under the burdens that you used to be. When God says, I'm going to rid you out of bondage, what he's saying is sin is really not going to have any, any, any power over you because I've already, I've already handled sin. I've already handled everything. You don't need to be under bondage anymore. How many know we shouldn't be living under bondage anymore? God has already pulled us out of that. That is the power of redemption at work. And we can say there's no other person that can do this. How many of you have tried to get from out of sin yourself? You've tried many, many times to put the bottle away, to get off the website. You've tried over and over to, to, to get away from the sin that has kept you bound, but it's only through the power of God that it could be done. And so that's God redeeming you by himself because we can't do that on our own. And then he says, I'm going to take you as a people unto myself. How many know when God returns, I already said it, he's coming to return for what is his. Do you belong to him or do you belong to the world? Are you set apart for him or, or are you kind of just playing the part, right? And he's going to remind you that, remember, I've come to bring you out of the burdens that you're under. Right? That part where he kind of reemphasizes that sort of stood out to me. Because if we get through the first four points of redemption, right, when God takes us for himself, God reminded me there's going to be a day very, very soon where we don't have to worry about the burdens that 
that we're facing. Over the weekend, my kids got sick this week, and I remember kind of patting my daughter as she was sick, and God brought this to me. There's going to come a day when I'm in heaven where there's not going to be no sickness there. There's going to come a day when my daughter's crying right here because she's sick. There's not going to be no crying there. There's not going to be no pain there. There's not going to be these burdens that we face in this life. When we get to heaven, those burdens were no longer going to be under. Again, the plan of redemption is revealed right here. So fast forwarding through the Bible, because I want to get to this part in Revelation, we can see the theme of redemption is woven in Scripture. Ruth, if you know the story of Ruth. Ruth and Boaz is the story of the kinsman redeemer. David, we already read it when he said, oh God, my, oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David writes many, many psalms on the redeemer. You can look at his life when he's on the run from Saul, when he's living in Ziglag. God redeemed many things in David's life. When the children of Israel go into captivity, God sends prophet after prophet, telling them that one day they will be redeemed. They will return that God is going to redeem them again, that the Redeemer, a Messiah, is coming. We can see this in Nehemiah, Isaiah especially, Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah. This theme of of redemption is, is woven in Scripture. But really quickly, I want us to look at Leviticus chapter 25. For the sake of time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of summarize what happens. But verses 23 through 28 lays out God's laws for redemption. And here's a quick sum up. And you might be able to follow along as, as you read through this as I'm, as I'm talking here. But Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 23 through 28. As a summary, God gave his people, the Israelites, the land of Israel. Each tribe in Israel was given a portion of land, right? God divided up the land between the 12 tribes. And every family within those tribes was given a plot or a piece of land within the land that belonged to their tribe. Yet if you read in verse 1 what God says about the land, God says, hold on now. Understand that you can't particularly sell the land that I'm giving to you permanently, you don't have the ability to sell it. Remember I said redemption is, is, a, is an accounting term. You don't have the ability to sell it. The reason why you don't have the ability to do that permanently is because the land belongs to me, God says. Now, God knew that the people, through difficulties, through hardships in their life, some of them may struggle at times, and some of them may lose the land that God had given them to, you know, steward, to Uh, have dominion over. They may lose that land just through the issues that may come in life. And so he put three measures in place to protect them in the redemption process. So, for example, if I lived in Israel at the time and I lost my land, maybe I fell into debt. And and as, as, as a means to work off the debt, I sold the land that I have, right? God put in place three ways for me to redeem it back. The first means is that if I ever had the ability, then I could repurchase the land on my own. If I were to save up the money, I had the ability to do so. I could do that. The law said in Leviticus that that was my right. Yes, I've lost the land and I've sold it to someone else. But if I ever got the means to take it back or purchase it back, that I could. That was the first way that the redemption process worked. The second way was if I had a close relative called a kinsman redeemer. 
They, I could beg them, right? I could say, please, my brother Frank, I could call Frank on the phone. Frank, I need you right now. Cough up the money, please. If you don't do it, then we're going to lose the land for good. I know I'm not living right. I'm not, I'm, I'm in a hard time right now. But I could call on someone else related to me to pay the price on my behalf. If they had the means and they were willing to pay, then the land could be redeemed and brought back. That was the second way. But the third way was if my brother, he probably wouldn't be willing to do that today. Or if I didn't have the means, if neither one of us had the means, there was no other relative who would step up to the plate to play the price, then I would have to wait for what the Bible calls a year of jubilee to come around. And that was every 50 years, the land would be returned to its original owner. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe it's the year after Jubilee. I'm in 49 years to go, but now I'm in, I'm in a hard place, and, and no one else is going to buy this land for me. I got to wait 49 years. I may not live that long, right? If that's the case, then when the 50 years comes up again, then the land would return to my closest relative. That's how the process worked. And you might be wondering, why would God put this plan in place? And I kind of asked the same thing. Well, maybe... I was thinking, maybe it's so that the poor, if they ever came into hard times, it would ensure that they were taken care of. And I believe there is some probably truth to that. But I believe it's probably, and, and what, I, what I found in Scripture is that the reason God put this law into place is because it was for something even greater than that. That is that the redemption process always had a way of returning back to its original owner. I want you to understand that how many know God created the heavens and the earth? That God is the creator of all things. Just as the land of Israel was God's, and God told them, understand that you can't really sell the land permanently because it belongs to me. God's basically making the same point. The earth is mine. I think Psalms chapter 24 and verse 1 says that. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, I think it's a song. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. Yep, it's a song. But God is saying that the entire world is mine. I'm the ultimate owner. I made it. There's going to come a day again where I'm going to get it back. And so... Understand in this process, just as God gave dominion and possession of the land to Israel, not ultimate ownership, he gave dominion and rulership to us in the, in the garden, right? God told Adam and Eve, I want you to have dominion. You're going to be over the, the fowl of the air. You're going to be over all the animals. You're going to have dominion over what I've given you. What did they do? They messed it up. What do we live in a world today? It's messed up, Right? But I said earlier, God is coming back soon. And when he comes, guess what he's coming to get? Everything that belongs to him. This earth belongs to God. I know it may not appear so. I know it may not look like it on the outside. But trust me, the plan of redemption is still at work. God is coming back soon to get everything that belongs to him. So real quick, because I want to get to this point of revelation before we, we end this morning. I said earlier, when we look back at the law of Leviticus and, and what it meant for the Redeemer, what the criteria was, 
I said earlier that a redeemer had to be able to pay the price. They had to be willing to pay the price. And they also have to have the power to take possession of the redeemed land or property. Jesus Christ was willing and able to pay the price and did so over 2,000 years ago. And the scripture reveals that he also has the power to take possession of that which he redeems, even if that means he has to take it by force. And again, that includes not only us, we are the redeemed, but this entire earth, he will come and take possession of it again. And I want to make my calling and election sure before he does come again, because I don't want to be on the other side of the vengeance of the Lord. Satan and his cohorts are going to be cast into the lake of fire when he returns. And so when I close this morning, I want to turn our attention finally back to Revelation chapter 5. This is a passage that gives us a glimpse into heaven in the days leading up to when God is going to return. Many of you are probably wondering, what in the world does this have to do with redemption? What if I told you that this moment that John gets to see in the heavens has everything to do with redemption? If you want to turn to Revelation 5, once more we're going to read it. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside. And this book was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open this book and to loose the seals on the book? And John saw that no man in heaven and earth, neither under the earth, was able to open this book, neither to look on what was inside the book. And so as a result of this, John begins to weep. Because when he's having this vision into the heavens, no one is able to open this book. And so probably most of you are thinking what I was thinking, and I had a list of questions. What in the world is this book? Why is this book sealed? Why can't anyone just break the seals of the book? Why can't anyone look inside the book? Why would this book be so important that John would weep when it looks like no one else is worthy enough to look inside? Surprisingly, this scene that we see in heaven is not a new scene found in Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 32 gives us a similar story, and it really goes back to this redemption process in Leviticus. This, as I said, redemption or redeeming was an accounting term. What we're seeing in heaven is a heavenly transaction taking place. Understand, when the Redeemer, right, pays the price for a piece of land, then Just like when we buy a house, a deed or a scroll was written. When you were going to redeem something, a piece of property, an artifact, anything in the redemption process found in Leviticus, then what would happen is this would be written down on a scroll and it would be sealed up. And what this was, was this was the evidence. It was the title to the property that you owned. And normally on the inside of what was written in this scroll, was what the purchaser had redeemed. That is, this is everything that the redeemer would take possession of. On the outside of this book was written the conditions that had to be met in order to take ownership of what they were purchasing. Now, you can imagine in this transaction, this document, this book was very important because it proved who had the right to the land that they were saying that this was theirs, right? If I didn't have the deed, then I can't prove that it was mine. And so in heaven, and even on on earth when this was happening, this title, this deed, it had to be protected and stored in a safe place. So here we have a scroll. We have a book in heaven 
There's writing on the front and there's writing on the back and it's sealed with seven seals. And we asked earlier, what is the sealed scroll or sealed book all about? Well, scholars and experts agree this is the deed, this is the title, this is the property. Better explain, this holds every precious work of God. Except, right, this, this, this deed, this book, it has every plan that God has for the whole earth and all of creation. Every promise is in this book. Every gift is in this book. Every decree is in this book. Every solution to the problem and mysteries and wonders of God are shut up in this book that John is having a, a view into this redemption transaction in heaven. And as you can see, it's stored in the safest place possible, right? It's stored in the right hand of the one who is sitting on the throne. And so the question is, who is worthy to take ownership of this book? Who has the right to open this book? Who has paid the price to buy back everything in this world and creation that is contained in this book? Revelations chapter 5 and verse 5 continues on because now John is weeping. He doesn't see anyone who has the ability to open this book. But one of the elders tells him, stop crying. Stop weeping. Right? I can see John, his, when we weep, right, usually we go from looking up to looking down. And I can imagine the elders saying, John, stop crying. Look again. Look at what you're looking at again because behold, pay attention. The lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David, he's the one who has prevailed and he is the one who can open this book to loose every seal on this book. And John says now he's looking in verse 6, and I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood what? The lamb, the ransom, the payment for all of humanity, the payment, right? The lamb that was slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And this lamb that was slain, this line of Judah, he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and 20 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to take the book. And to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and you have what? Redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us unto our God kings and princes, a priests, sorry, and we shall reign on the earth. So stand with me as I close this morning. The command goes forth from the elders to John. Stop crying because there is someone. There is a redeemer. There is someone with the title of the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And this redeemer has triumphed. He is worthy to open up the book. He's worthy to take possession of everything that he owns, right? Yet as, God, as John looks, he doesn't see a lion, but he sees a lamb. And we know this is Jesus Christ. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a lamb. John the Baptist said, when he first saw Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus said as himself, he came to die. He came to, to be the ransom. He came to pay the price that was required to pay for the curse that's on every one of us, to pay for our sin, 
Yet before he left, he what? He promised that he was going to return. And when he does return, not returning as a lamb, he's returning as the lion. He's returning as our champion, our redeemer. He's coming back to get everything that belongs to him. How many want to belong unto the Lord? Amen. How many, how many are thankful that God has redeemed us? That God has paid the price for us? That the power and the redeeming work of God is still evident right now. If you, this is your first time coming to church, if you feel like, you know, the price that God has to pay is too much for me. I've done too much. I'm not worthy for God to pay for me. Understand, God has paid every price. There isn't a price too high for you. God is willing to do everything to save you, to redeem you. And I'm thankful today that God has done it for me. Would you lift your hands this morning? Oh, God, we worship you. God, you are our redeemer. Job said, God, I know that my redeemer lives. And, Lord, you are alive and well today, God, able to redeem every life, every soul, God. You have paid the ransom price, God. So that we, Lord God, don't have to live under bondage, Lord. Those burdens that we bear, God, we don't have to bear them anymore because, God, you have redeemed us. You have paid the price for our sin. Oh, no, God, as we finish out this Sunday school hour, we want to thank you, Lord. God, I want to tell somebody, stop crying, God. But look, you are our redeemer, God, as those elders told John. Lord, I want to tell somebody, get ready because our redeemer is returning to take back everything that belongs to him. And so, God, we praise you this morning for who you are, and we thank you, God, for your love and, and, and your, God, uh, your love towards us, Lord, that you would redeem us. We thank you, Lord. Would you clap your Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.